0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with the simple goal of following Jesus together, and we hope this message helps you in doing just that. This is a sermon series that we've been in for the last couple weeks. This is the third week of it. We're calling it Unwrapping Christmas. We want to reconsider what this Christmas season is all about. If we go to the flow, uh, oftentimes we will we will go through this whole season without preparing our hearts and our minds for really what the season is about. And so This uh, series that we're in, we're considering different names that Jesus received in, uh, uh, different names he received in the Christmas narrative. And so the first week we talked about Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Last week we talked about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. So he'd not only come uh, just to be our Savior, but he also came to create a kingdom that we'd be participants in. This week uh, we're going to talk about Uh, Jesus in a a different way than we usually do, more of a theological uh, name, but it's under the name God incarnate. And this name God incarnate really comes from John's gospel, the way in which he describes who Jesus was. This word incarnate means in flesh. And so uh, that's what, uh, you know, if if you were to look at the original language that incarnate means in flesh, in the flesh carne. So if even if you know Spanish today, if you, if you restaurant Spanish even, you know, con carne is uh, in meat. That's so we could we could retitle this God con carne if you would like uh, today. But it's a it's this idea of understanding that, that God came in flesh. And this if we don't check our minds at the door, we miss out on the profound significant beautiful mystery of what this means, that God came to us in flesh. Uh, Just a background about John's gospel. John's gospel was written way later than the other gospel accounts, and and I, I like to think about John, who was a disciple of Jesus, who lived with Jesus for three years. He got to see Jesus up front, up close. Uh, John was the disciple who rested on, on Jesus' chest in the upper room. He was the disciple that was holding Jesus' mother at the cross when he said, Mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. This is, this is someone who is familiar with Jesus. And what I love about John's gospel, it's my favorite gospel, what I love about it—it it, it seems like John took the time to really think what was going on deeper uh, in the story. What was Jesus really up to? What was the deeper meaning that Jesus was, was doing? And this time gave John the ability to write this beautiful poetic expression of what Jesus was doing. What is truly the good news of Jesus? And the way in which he begins his gospel is not like the other gospel accounts. Uh, uh, for Luke and for, um, for Mark, they jump straight in at, at, at Jesus being born. For Matthew, Matthew begins with his genealogy account. And John begins with poetry, trying to get at, this is what poetry does, it gets at a deeper truth you can't quite explain in words, it's just, you have to try to to get to something in a more beautiful, artistic way, this deeper, more significant truth. And so John begins with poetry, and he intentionally does something. Uh, John 1 begins as an echo of Genesis 1. Genesis 1, the very beginning of the whole Bible, starts like this: "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." And for John's gospel, he begins with this, an echo of the original creation account. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was "with God." And the word was God." If you were to read John's account of, the, of how everything began, You'll read 16 verses of John before John ever mentions the word Jesus. He's talking about Jesus all the time, but instead of saying the name Jesus, he uses the name Word. And it's a a beautiful thing. John was writing to a different group than the other gospel accounts. He was writing to uh, Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish. And so John was pulling up something for the Greeks that they it was a huge priority, is this idea of logos, which is what this word means. The word word means logos. And the word logos means, uh, means wisdom, means logic, as well as word, reasoning. For the Greeks, a huge priority was engage my, engage my intellect. Speak to me not only about truth, but give me logic and wisdom to it. So John is starting to describe Jesus before, before he even gets to the manger scene. What he's saying is, in the beginning was the ultimate wisdom. And this ultimate wisdom began before time. It was with God and was God. See, John's trying to point at their deep longings, their deep needs, and go, if you want to know ultimate wisdom, read the rest of the story. because That's what it's all about. And so we find here at this very beginning, notice how John wants us to understand who Jesus is. Jesus was before the beginning of time. Yes, like like if you can't, go to the next slide. Uh, Jesus was before the beginning was the Word. So when time was created, Jesus was already there. Before, Before even time existed, there was the Word. It was a time was even a creation of God, and Jesus was with God. Jesus has always existed in relationship with God. Like I used to, when I was a kid, I used to think that God created the world and humanity because He was bored and lonely, you know, He just just this bored, lonely God. But and so He created humanity. That's actually the opposite. For all of time, Jesus was with God in perfect relationship in perfect harmony, in perfect unity. And it's an overflow of that love, that overflow of that unity that God was like, this is too good. Let's create humanity. Let's create this world in our image of this beautiful relationship and harmony that we have from one another. To understand God, you have to understand intimacy, relationships. That's who God is. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. In the word, was God. So Jesus was not some perfect role model that was human, that God said, hey, that's, that's who you should follow. I'm going to adopt that person as my example. No, the belief we carry is that Jesus was God. So from the get-go, John is not allowing us to consider who Jesus was in a manger. In the beginning of all time was Jesus, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Now, is this, if this causes a mind melt, good. Like, I'm, I sure hope that God is bigger than our comprehension. Don't you, don't you wish that? I mean, I can barely put together an Ikea table. I would hope that God is beyond my, my capabilities, my intellect, my reasoning. And I think John is wanting us to begin with this story, with this account, like it is, so that we would be able to see the expansive, beautiful, mysterious nature of God's bigness. So that we appreciate what we read next. John 1.14 The Word became flesh, incarnate, and made His dwelling among us. This God, this expansive God, did not pop in to help us out, fix things and leave, did not relate to us from a distance, but made His dwelling place among us. Therefore, we have seen His glory. Now John, he lived with Jesus. lived with Jesus for th- three years, and he's saying, we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This holy, eternal Word, Logos, took on flesh. And if we haven't stopped to reconsider how unbelievable It is. It's time to do so today. The creator of all of life, the creator of time, the creator of space, who set the galaxies in their place for nine months, developed in a mother's womb, was born small, was wrapped in swaddling clothes, and this was God incarnate. God not only stepped into the human experience, but he also stepped into time. And this teaches us something profound. A theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann, he, he used this phrase that I think is just a perfect description of what we're trying to talk about today. Is He talked about the incarnation, this experience of, of God becoming incarnate, as the scandal of the particular. This The scandal, it's, 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 too, it's, it's too bizarre, it's too unbelievable that God would become particular. One thing. Like, not only did God become human, but He came this man, born this night 2,000 years ago, with this mother, and this father, and He lived in Nazareth. He spoke a particular language, with a particular voice. He had memories, He had neighbors, He had a hairstyle, He had friends, He sneezed, He cried, He napped. He grew, he had disappointments, he had a favorite meal, he had fear, he had a sense of humor. He lived a real, particular life, but he also had a particular death. On a particular day, he climbed up a particular hill, carrying a cross, he suffered, he bled, and at some point his lungs stopped expanding, and the infinite God died. Christianity is not a set of ideas or theories or morals. It's a simple and challenging belief that God was human in Jesus. I'll say that again. Christianity is not a set of ideas or theories or morals. It's a simple and challenging belief that God was human in Jesus. In a weird way, this is actually kind of disturbing and uncomfortable for us. We actually might prefer a God who's too big and distant from us, who's removed, um, who maybe could be understandable to us but different from us. Like, there's like this human tendency that we, we, we push away this God that's so scandalous in being particular. There's actually a heresy in the early church called docetism uh, where some people started believing that and teaching that Jesus could not be truly human. He was more like a mirage. He was an illusion. He looked like uh, being a human, but he wasn't. There's no way that God would live like that, especially suffer like that. And one one of their famous beliefs is that Jesus never left a footprint. Just looked like he did. But Jesus was not a mirage to John. Took on flesh. And our faith is built on the scandal of God incarnate. In all of God's wisdom, God knew that we needed Jesus, particularly Jesus. And the more I think about this, the more I realize the incarnation is a necessity for my faith, my life. So for the rest of our time in this message, I want to share why the incarnation is a gift from God. Why the incarnation is a gift to you this Advent season from the very heart of God. First, the incarnation teaches us that we can know God. God came to us in human form not only to save us, not only to die for us and to save us, but God also came so that we could know God. We believe that everything Everyone that was created was created to know God. Like your life won't make complete sense until you are in relationship with God. The same way that God, Jesus was in relationship with the Father, you were created in that image to be in relationship with God. That's one of the most fundamental aspects of your life. And as a friend told me, it's without Jesus this past, this past week, my friend told me that we can't imagine how big God is, but we know how small he became. Like, we, it's to be too profound, too big to imagine how big God is, but we, we know how small he became. And in that smallness, we can know God. That is the gift of the incarnation. Colossians 1.15 says it like this, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. When we wonder what God is like, we have the privilege to look at Jesus. We get to see who God is in Jesus. I love how an author, Philip Yancey, How he wrote about this. He said, Books of theology tend to define God, but what he is not immortal, invisible, infinite. But what is God like positively? Like, if he's not all these things, but what is God? For the Christian, Jesus answers all such important questions. The Apostle Paul boldly called Jesus the image of the invisible God, Jesus was God's exact replica. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. God is, in a word, Christ-like. Jesus presents a God with skin on whom we can take or leave, love or ignore. In this visible, scaled-down model, we can discern God's features more clearly. Isn't that a great quote? Out of love, God made himself known to, to us in the same way we know each other in relationship. But it's a relationship initiated by God. Out of love, God draws near to us to make himself known so that if we have any question about who God is, we get the opportunity to look at Jesus. And there's no uh, distinction between who Jesus is and who the Father is. We clearly see who God is. So let's just stop. Like, how many questions would you have of God and of faith in life if the Gospels were just pulled out of your Bible? Like, how... How many more questions would you have of what God is really like? That's the gift of the incarnation is that in the life and the stories that we know of Jesus, we also know God. And our faith and hope is built on the God we clearly see in Jesus. This is a gift. Another gift for us is the incarnation is a gift so that we can also know the way. Would it have been enough for you personally to have God just give you commandments and laws? Like if you were just to have this playbook and God was just to tell you, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, do this. Like, would that be enough for you to live in faith? Maybe, it matters how much you were afraid of God, right? How, how, how much fear you had of God. But rather than just knowing that we are to love our enemy, we see Jesus on the cross forgiving. Rather than just being told to serve others, we see Jesus on his knees washing people's feet. Rather than just being told to pray, which is how I feel like I grew up was Mark, you just have to pray. I now see Jesus who like, often fled the crowds to be alone with his Father, just to spend time in prayer and just being with him. Rather than being told to be humble, we see Jesus again making himself low. Rather than being told to be compassionate, we have Jesus who touched the leopard, who served the peoples who were on the outcast. We see Jesus showing us the way. And like, this is a great leadership principle that Jesus actually embodied what he hoped that we would do. It's helpful for us. It's helpful for us. So when it comes to moments in our life when we are not sure how to be faithful, we have Jesus. We can look at his life and see a trajectory of of grace, of truth, of love, of compassion that we can follow in our life. So for us, we will interpret our faith, and even Scripture through who Jesus is. And the question we ask is, is this consistent to the God I know in Jesus? We'll interpret all of life and faith through that lens. And it's helpful for us because it's challenging to know the way in our life. Like, it's, it's, does anyone find it hard to know exactly what to do in this day and age? Well, we actually have, especially in social issues that we struggle with, I am personally struggle with discerning how the right response would look, I get to look at Jesus. And I'm not sure of the way forward. I, I'm grateful for the life of Jesus. And even in John 1.14, this is too good to pass up. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh, became knowable, became particular, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came, from us, uh, came to us from the Father full of grace and truth. What does it respond? What is it like to respond to the needs of the world today? We respond with grace and truth. And this might feel like a sidebar conversation, but do we notice the genius of these two characteristics that John's pulling out grace and truth? Like I, in our culture today, we pin these two against each other. I can either be truthful and harsh, or I can be gracious. And shrug my shoulders and let things happen. So I can, but I can't do both. What Jesus shows us is no, no, no. They're not, it's not an either or in my life. It's, it's a yes. It's a both and. And, it's, not, and it's, it's beautiful in its symmetry because it's not just like one inch of truth and one inch of grace. It's fullness of grace and truth. When you look at Jesus' life, he lived with the ultimate expression of what it means to be gracious in our truth. And also, be honest with our grace. He shows us this way. When you look at your own life, I'm sure the people who made the biggest impact on you were people who lived with grace and truth. So think about the most profound teacher that you had in your, in your life, like an actual teacher in a school. Think about that person. My guess is that teacher probably pushed you more than other teachers, but they were also willing to stay back after school to teach you, to to mentor you. They wouldn't give you an easy A, but when you got that B plus that you worked super hard at, they rejoiced with you and believed in you. Miss Gorman's mind, she was four foot 11. You fell asleep in her class. She literally would throw an eraser at you. She was awesome. I loved her. And uh, it's funny, there's a Facebook group That's all it is is hundreds and hundreds of people who went through uh, North uh, Junior High in Richardson, Texas who just tell stories about Mrs. Gorman. And she was rough. She was was like this beady-eyed old woman, um, but you knew that she loved you. You knew that she would show up every single day and pour herself out, that you could learn participles. And not to have a dangling participle, which I dangle all the time, I guess. (laughs) Full of grace and full of truth. She she pushed harder than any teacher I've ever had. But I knew she also loved us individually. There's something about someone living with grace and truth that really marks our life. And this world, what this world right now needs is not grace without truth and not truth without grace, but we need to learn what does it mean to follow Jesus in the fullness of grace and truth. We need to follow him in our fullness of our grace and truth. Um, this is what Jesus was masterful at. Um, so God incarnate showed us the way, and he showed us the way also that we should not embrace a falsehood, that Jesus did it so I don't have to. But Jesus came to show us this love, this life, this grace and truth so that we could follow him. We don't get off from obedience by the life of Jesus. We actually now know what obedience looks like. We've seen it. We've seen it. So we now know God. We also now know the way. And finally, the incarnation is essential so that others can know God incarnate. As it is with Jesus, he invites us all not only to worship him, but to join him. And the same God who out of love and compassion left perfection and comforts to be here in flesh, do you think that he looks around at this world today and says, well, all done here, (laughs) everything's perfect? I don't think so. I think the God of compassion, of love, and mercy who sent Jesus to be here in flesh Is still sending us. His master plan to be the God incarnate was to save us uh, through his life and death, to show us the way, to show us how much love that God has for us, so that we could be the church incarnate. So we could be incarnate in this world, to to have our dwelling place in this world. Notice John's, some of his last words. We talked his first words. Notice some of his last words in John 20, 21. This is one of his final, Jesus' final words that he shared with us. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Peace, I I, want to give you peace because you're going to need it for this journey. As the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is we're just getting started. As the Father sent me to be incarnate, you are now the church incarnate. We're sent just like Jesus was sent. So when we go, we don't serve or speak in ways that are foreign to Austin, just like Jesus entered into a particular culture, a particular language and time. So we are to enter into our world, into Austin, to make God known, to, to love and to serve in ways that are understandable to our community. We, we should not go with churchy language and try to pop in and fix things and leave. It's not the way that Jesus did it. It's not the way that we can do it. We are called to enter into the particular here and now and live lives consistent with Jesus who took on flesh, who engulfed the good news. That is our role as a community and a church is we are to step in and dwell in Austin so that people could know us and somehow out of grace to know God. This is how one... uh, missionaries spoke of this, a man named Alan Hershey said this, the incarnation thus shows us that God speaks from within a particular culture in ways that people can grasp, understand, and respond. The incarnation gives us the primary biblical model of engagement. This is how God does it, and when we follow his way, should take take a similar path. We're going to follow in the same way that Jesus did. We're going to come in, this, in the context of relationship and seek to love and to serve and bless Austin. That is not only who we're called to be, it's who Jesus was. And many of us might object and say, but how do, how do we know how to do that? Well, we study the life of Jesus enough where we're fluent in the word, the logos. We study Jesus' life in the gospels enough where we are fluent in his life. And you know what it's like when you spend a ton of time with someone, you start marrying them. Uh, I I remember in middle school, I I spent a lot of time with this one guy with the weirdest, dorkiest laugh. Sure enough, I started laughing like him. I had to end my friendship. You mirror the people you spend time with. So when we spend time with Jesus, when we become fluent in Jesus, we spend time with him in our study of Scripture, in our time of prayer, we go and we seek Jesus in our community. We enter this particular time and place and we embody Jesus. We love like Jesus loved. We speak like Jesus spoke. We have friendships with people from whom Jesus had friends. We're we're called to be like him in that way. We're not called to be friends with people just in this room. We're called to befriend like Jesus did. To go to imperfect people, unconvinced that they are loved and favored by God, and somehow through our words and our deeds that they experience God's grace and mercy and his love. We do this because we've been delivered by Jesus, God incarnate. We remember the God incarnate stepped into your particular life and set you free. And as scandalous as this might seem, Jesus continues to come into a particular world through a baby in a manger, through the cross, and through your life as well.